You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, well, it's all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, really anything about business or trucking, you've come to the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls, we answer your questions about all of those topics and many more. If you want to talk about health and fitness, personal development, money, financial planning, we'll do it. Just pick up the phone and give me a call. We're going to get to those calls in just a couple minutes. Before we do, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what I was doing this morning, which kind of a routine morning for me, although... I did change one thing. We got up really early this morning, five o'clock, and went to the gym, got in a good workout, and then I came home and started my usual pre-show routine, which is really just a lot of reading, checking up on the news, looking for ideas, or uh, following up on my goals, maybe doing a little writing. And I realized that one of the shows that I've been wanting to watch for a while uh, is Larry Wingett. Larry Wingett started a new online TV show and the network. So I I went to watch Larry's shows and I was watching his shows. Always good stuff. Uh, But while I was there, I started looking around the network and, and the name of the network is called Whatever It Takes Network. And you can find it online. That should That term should get there. Grant Cardone is the founder of the network. And what I was looking at is there is just so much good information available. And not just on that network, but all over the internet. Every topic you want to learn about, it's out there. And so much of it is free. Now, I've always been a big believer in reading, attending seminars, everything I can get my hands on to learn something new. And I've said that many, many times. I read books constantly. I attend seminars as often as I can, usually two to three a year. Uh, And that's tough because we've got to travel and the time off, but, but it's worth it. But and when I first started doing this 30 years ago, I I was doing the same thing, but I'll tell you the difference. Back then, there was very little information available. Uh, Audio books really didn't, I won't say they didn't exist. They were around. There just wasn't much to choose from, and they were really expensive. And what there was back then, uh, and I've talked about Earl Nightingale and, and one of his programs that was on audio, but it was more like a seminar on tape rather than a book on tape. And from there, I actually started uh, subscribing to programs at Nightingale Conant, which Earl Nightingale was one of the founders. And it was lots and lots of programs that were about personal development and leadership and all those things. 
and I was hooked on them, but they were expensive, really expensive. You would spend hundreds of dollars on one program, but it was worth every penny. And I had a budget just for those programs. And it was up at the top of my priorities on the budget, you know, before entertainment, before eating out, uh, before, you know, new toys or, or things that I wanted budget got spent on those programs first. The good news is today there is so much information and it is 90% of it is free. It's everywhere. Podcast, webinars, uh, this network that I just found. So here's the thing. If information was all we needed to be successful, then everybody would be successful because we are surrounded by good information. And if you're not listening to it, you're making a mistake. If you want to do better in any area of your life, literally any area of your life, the information is all over the place. It, it's not enough that it's there. First off, you have to go find it, consume it, whether it's reading it, listening to it, watching it, whatever it might be. And, and just that act alone will make you better. I promise. It, but you need to also go a little farther than that. You need to act on it and create a plan. And, and you'll learn lots of ways to do all those things from the material itself. You know, people often thank me. People will call and say, um, I paid off all my debt. My fuel mileage is up. I'm investing in my retirement accounts. And it's all because of you. And I appreciate that. But it is nowhere near the truth. It, it's, it's just not. I put out information, so do hundreds of thousands of other people. Like I said, the information's everywhere. Yeah, granted, some of mine, a lot of mine is very, very specific to trucking and even more specific to being an owner-operator, but it, it's just information, and I'm making it available and giving you access to it, but if that's all that was necessary, everybody who listened to me would be very successful because I've put out all the information you need to succeed thousands of times over the last eight years, but you've got to do something about it. Most of what happens though, is people just keep doing the same things over and over and over. I I've been studying a lot about habits and willpower and it's really just verifying what I think I've known for a long time. And I'm also learning a lot of new stuff, but most of our day, in fact, I read a statistic and, and looked through it and it seems pretty legitimate. 45% of our day, 45% of the things we do every day, we do out of habit. We don't even realize it. We don't call certain behaviors habits. We think of habits as smoking, drinking, a lot of bad habits, or maybe good habits of going to the gym every day. We tend to think of the big things, but we don't realize that 45% of our behavior is just habits. You're not thinking. You're on autopilot during those times. That, that's basically what a habit is. You, it, it's been, become so ingrained in you that you don't even have to think anymore. Your body just does it. You don't even realize it. One of the things you can do is just slow down and think. 
I, I talk a lot about writing things down, making lists, get it out of your head and get it on paper because that makes you think in a new way. The way you think now is very, very repetitive. We tend to think in loops and we only scratch the surface of our situations, our problems, our challenges, whatever you want to call them, our everyday life. We only scratch the surface in our thinking and our thinking tends to be very, very repetitive. You just go through these same loops. You have the same habits. And then we wonder why we don't get different results. Reading, listening, watching good information makes you think differently. But more importantly, start writing things down. That will change the way you think. Now, even if you are reading, watching, and listening to stuff that isn't all that great or is absolutely wrong, and there is tons of that stuff out there, trust me, most of the material sucks. Uh, it, and I say that somewhat sarcastically, but not really. When I pick up a book that's 400 pages, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of thought. That's a lot of ideas. And I pick up a lot of three and 400 page books that I can only find one or two good ideas. And a lot of the stuff in there just really isn't the best way to do things or the most effective. But I want you to read it all, listen to it all, watch it all anyway, because all you need to do is anything different than what you've been doing, even if it's wrong. Now, are you shocked by that? Does that sound crazy? I, I'm going to tell you to go out and listen to things and try things that are wrong. Yeah, I am, because you might find that some of those things actually work better than what you were doing before, even if they're wrong or you might find that they are worse than what you're doing before, but now you've learned something. You've learned one way that doesn't work. If you learn enough ways that don't work, sooner or later, you'll get to the ways that do. So even though I just, because I've read so many books, been to so many seminars, watched so many videos, listened to so many podcasts on all these topics, it's getting harder and harder for me to find really good ideas. But I, keep, I, I won't stop because even just teach me something. Larry Wingett says that he's read over 4,500 books. He's way past me. I've read probably 1,500 maybe. And he says in all those books are really only 18 good ideas. But in a lot of those books, you'll find ways of looking at those 18 ideas. And again, even if you find something that's just wrong, it's, it's information and you learn something. When we get back, I'm going to get right to your phone call. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I said I was going to go right to the calls, but I looked at my notes and realized I forgot to talk about something I wanted to talk about. And that is that when I look around the trucking industry, and I've certainly been around it a lot, my whole life really, uh, but for the last 30 years, I've been very active in it. And one of the things that I've always seen, and I still see it to this day, there is one area of business that owner operators really fall short on. And honestly, there are a lot of areas. This just isn't an, a, an industry where education is valued. I, very, very little learning goes on in this industry. And it's kind of sad. Uh, but when you look around, you can see the results of that, uh, really. But even the the people who have kind of decided as owner operators, they need to learn about business and those kind of things. One area that I see them do very little in is sales and marketing. And when I talk to owner operators, they say, well, I don't need to. I don't need to market. I don't need to sell. I get all my freight from a broker. I'm leased to a carrier. So why bother? That is a really, really bad attitude because we are all, well, we should always be selling and marketing, marketing especially. Marketing is more about creating a brand, creating an identity so people recognize you. You know, sometimes people ask me, Kevin, why do you put your signature and your picture on everything? Why do you always say your name at the beginning and the end of every segment? That's branding. That's marketing. And sometimes marketing can be annoying because it's repetitive. But you know what? It works. There's a reason for doing those things. That, that's branding and marketing. And we all need to be doing more of that. And sales, boy, if you can sell, you'll never be hungry, really. If, if, you can, if you can learn good skills around selling, you will never go hungry because every business needs sales. Every business. If you can sell, you can go anywhere in the world and do just about anything, given language barriers and all that. But if you can sell, you can make money anywhere selling almost anything because the skills are the same. If you go to sell something new, all you have to do is learn about sell, but building good sales skills, it's just a, a really good place to be spending your time. Uh, you know, I've talked about the the test and, and the program that I take, and I've, I've had a lot of other people take it, that identify your top two skills. And my top skill is influence. Well, really, if you want to sell, that that is a great skill to have. Isn't that what selling really is? Isn't it influencing somebody to make a decision? That's what I do. And not always to make money. I, I try to influence people to listen to what I have to say or write because I think it can help them. But it can't help them if I can't influence them to listen to me, to believe me, to trust me. That's what influence is. And, and influence is really probably the number one skill behind sales. They're almost identical. So if you're looking for things to listen to, watch, study, 
sales and marketing. Here's the good news. There are more books, webinars, and, and programs on sales and marketing than almost any other topic. One of my favorites, and I've said it many times, Seth Godin um, on marketing, not, not sales, uh, marketing specifically, marketing and branding. And sales, there's just, there's tons of good programs out there. All right, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Michigan. Mark, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing good. What can I help you with? Uh, I talked to you a few weeks ago. I was having a trouble with my cat engine missing when it was cold. Yeah. Talked about that a little bit. Well, it got progressively worse to the point where, you know, I figured I better take it in and have it looked at. And took it in just before Christmas, and uh, they found a few minor things, nothing really major. And did a cylinder cutout test on it that came back good. And I said, you know what? It's been a while since I had the overhead run. I said I wanted to pull the covers off. Let's go further and make sure we've got nothing else. Well, that was a decision. Ended up having a broken injector, and then he went further into it. And they said they couldn't finish it up because the engine was hot. They had to wait till morning, which I understood. And ended up next morning had uh, two or three broken valve springs in the engine. And so they said we're going to put a cylinder head on it. So that's fine. You know, they go, that's what your problem is. So they put a new remand cap cylinder head on it. And I had them put a water pump on it because it was starting to leak. And it was cheaper to have them do it that because they're halfway there. And got the truck back after it took two weeks because it being over the holiday, which I didn't really have a problem with. Right. Um, $10,000 later. Um, go to pick the truck up and they tell me it's ready. I go out back and look at it. Everything seems to look all right. I go back out front to get a shop, and they, so the guy told the guys, well, it's outside. He goes, no, they pull it back in. They want to look it over one more time before you take it. I said, oh, that's fine. And when I initially looked at it, the, the radiator cap wasn't tightened down. You know, it was just sitting there, which now that's minor. Then I go to leave, and I noticed that you know, they had to remove the radiator out of the truck to gain access to drill out some broken bolts on the front of the truck, which I understand. Well, when they did that, they had to cut a wire because there was no fun plug to it which they did re- put back. So I had, they had to do that while it was there. And then I left, and then I said, uh, since then it's been nothing but sub-zero temperatures where I've been at, and I've had to uh, do four more minor repairs on it. Uh, a, a wire loop that was bolted to a stud, which was about ready to fall out, had to fix that. The wire was never attached to the loop. Later on, I found another wire on the other side of the engine hanging down. I was dragging the ground a couple of days later. had to feed that back up, too. That was the ground that attaches to the radiator. And then the other thing I was kind of, I was wanting to get your take on this is, my take is that I got a new cylinder head, so everything from the, between the valve cover and the cylinder head on that engine that's supposed to be yellow should be painted yellow and should also all be clean. Would that be acceptable? Yeah, I mean, that's what I would expect. Even I, when I get remand I, parts, I expect remand I parts expect, to be thoroughly cleaned and painted. Right. I don't expect, I know the sonar head doesn't come painted. So, I mean, I expect the sonar head to be painted probably before it's put on the engine. So, if everything gets painted that was painted before, I would expect my valve covers to be clean when they're put back on the engine. Yes. Maybe that's reasonable to assume. The sonar head was put on the intermediate plate. I guess that's for the jakes that sits on top of the head. Would that be what that is? There's a yeah. That wasn't cleaned and or repainted. And I was just kind of disappointed. And then I made two phone calls to the owner with um, no call back at all. 
And like I said, I've had to do four minor repairs. But I said, it's sub-zero temperature to go out there and fix shit. Lay underneath the truck trying to feed that wire up back next to the radiator and reground it. And, you know, it, it's not big stuff. The truck runs good. I'm pleased with the way the truck runs. I'm just not pleased with the details at work and the fact that I haven't got a call back from the owner on that. Yeah, and those are big problems. I mean, I I consider those big problems. They're not big in the sense that they were going to cause any major issues to the truck, but they're big problems for me in that that's not a business I want to do business with. I, I don't want sloppy work. I don't want people who don't care enough about me to even return my calls or, or answer my email uh, when I'm paying them. You know, right. people send me emails all the time. I can't possibly yeah, respond, but, but was, if somebody's was, paying like, for something, go ahead. You, know, you, you have to, here, here's the thing. And we've talked about this a lot and, and I don't, we are part of the problem. It, we, all of us, it, and we become part of the problem when we accept this because, and I'll tell you why we accept it. You've heard lots of people call the show asking about shops and having stories like this. And, and what is my answer all the time? Almost every time we talk about a shop that has or any company that that we're not satisfied with, especially shops, though, what's the answer that I give people all the time? You need to build relationships. Yeah. And that's where people fall down. They'll tell me, but I tried. I, I, and I'm not talking about you right now. I'm just talking in general and why our society is is on a decline. And I really believe it is and has been for years. And I don't see it turning around anytime soon. But people will say, but I tried. I went to this shop and they didn't do a good job. And I tried another shop and they didn't do a good job. So what am I going to do? Those are the only two shops in my hometown. Well, yeah, come like on. Uh, sure. Pittsburgh Power. Yeah, well, and and I will we will follow up on this because I will tell you that's not the norm. And if that happened and I believe you that it did, we will find out why and we will figure out what they're going to do to fix it. And again, it's not the norm. I mean, 9 out of 99 out of 100 calls I get about Pittsburgh Power are over the top raving. So we need to figure out and I've got to get to a break, but I'm going to come back to you because I don't want to rush that. We're going to figure out what happened and see what we can do to solve it. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Before the break, I was talking with Mark in Michigan. We're going to go back. Mark, you still with me? Yeah. I mean, the other thing was I, I got to meet Bruce personally when I was on my uh, first day there, and I was uh, 
I'm impressed. I mean, he took 40 minutes with four of us and talked with us, took us back in his office, and I mean, uh, was impressed with his history of his company and uh, impressed with the facility and the mechanics. Well, you know, like I said, uh, well, and and that's all good. But I also want you to be impressed with all the work. And normally, most people are. They fell down on this one. Clearly, they fell down. And I, Lisa is already on the phone trying to get a hold of Bruce. I mean, that that's how serious we are about this stuff. And I know Bruce is, too. I mean, Bruce yeah, would want to know. I know, I, you know. They told me I called him again. I called him three or four days after I got it back when I found the first other thing I had to repair, which is not it's minor stuff. But I said, it was 10 below zero. I'm out there screwing around, tightening up a bolt bit. You know, and I had to tie yeah. today. I had to tie two wire loops down to the brackets that weren't tied down, which is you know minor, but I shouldn't have to do that. Well, and again, it in some ways it's minor, but in some ways for me it's not. That those could become major things if 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 because really that's just sloppy work. Somebody got in a rush. Somebody overlooked. They didn't check, and this time. There were no major problems, but that kind of work, missing things like that could lead to a major problem. So we want to make sure um, that we figure this out and get it taken care of. And and again, I know Bruce absolutely wants to. Uh, And and there is no excuse other than it happened. We're going to follow up. We're going to see why it happened and put something in place to fix it so it doesn't happen again. I appreciate that. But I was, like I said, I was impressed with him and the shop. And it was just, uh, you know, other than the stuff, the, my, what I call the details and the work, which I expected. I guess I, I had high expectations after all the hype, I guess you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I, I want you to have high expectations because you should. And normally they actually exceed the expectations. And, and that's what we want. That's what we want to do every time. That's what we want our partner companies to do. And when they, when we don't, any of us, myself included, I want people to tell me that. I, I want to know. Uh, and that's part of it. So I'm glad you're doing this because this is what I mean when this service issue that we see in, in all aspects Part of the problem is us because we don't take the time sometimes to let people know what they did wrong and give them a chance to fix it. Or we put up with it from shop after shop because we don't want to go do the hard work to build the relationships and and take the time. Now, if you've got a shop that doesn't respond to you, keep screwing things up. At some point, that's not a shop you want to build a relationship. Don't put your time and effort there. Find the places who who do want to exceed your expectations, support them and take the time to build the relationship. And because we don't do those things, shops and people everywhere are just mediocre at best because they can be. They can be mediocre all day long and people keep coming back to them. And so they think we must be doing great. People keep coming back. You know, I, this seems like a weird analogy, but, you know, I talk about some of the TV shows that I like. And, and one of them was Kitchen Nightmares, where Gordon Ramsay goes into these restaurants that are struggling. They asked him to come in, figure out what the problem is. And every single one of them, I swear, every episode I've ever watched, they say, there's nothing wrong with our food. Nobody ever complains about it. But yet the restaurant's empty and they're going broke. But they don't think there's anything wrong with their food because nobody ever complained about it. You know what? Most people don't. Uh, we're either where we just don't care 
or we're too lazy or we think, well, if their food's bad and they don't know it, that's their problem. And that could be applied to any business and any service. If we're not speaking up and you are, so I congratulate you for that. If we're not speaking up and saying, here's what I expected, but here's what I got. What happened? What went wrong? And, and how do we fix it? And if you do that a couple times and they never manage to meet your expectations, then even if it's inconvenient, we need to just go somewhere else or we just need to put up with mediocrity because that's all we're ever going to get. Right. Well, I appreciate your time, and I do appreciate everything you do. I'm, I'm glad one thing you did fix for me that I wanted to get fixed. You fixed my data board, so now I can uh, get a scan gauge soon. Good, good. Well, and, and like I say, I, I'm, I'm glad that they got into the overhead. I'm glad that they fixed your issues, and, and there were some issues in there that really would have caused problems. Um, it's unfortunate that they missed a couple things, and like I say, we will figure out why, and... Um, We'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. Let's go to Colorado. Michael, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing great. What can I help you with today? Uh, I've got an oil sample there. Okay. Let me go get that, and I will, uh, I will figure out what we're looking at. So let's go to samples. While I'm looking this up, give me a quick idea what year is this truck uh 2010 uh cummins isx 15 got it all right so is this this looks like it might be your first oil sample is it it is mm -hmm. all right excellent so we've got 538,000 miles on the engine at the time and just under 18,000 miles on the oil correct correct all right <laughs> So let's take a look here. Uh, so uh, fuel dilution is virtually non-existent. Your soot is less than 0.1. That is so unusual on an ISX, but that is a really good sign. The ISX, especially the you know emission ISXs, are kind of dirty engines. They they just put a lot of soot back into the oil, but this one isn't. That's a really good sign. Uh, well, I modified it a little bit. Oh, good. Well, whatever you did worked really well. Uh, okay. Other than that, the only thing that they flagged at a level one is just the viscosity. Is this really a 5W30 oil? It is. It, it's the mobile Delvac. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, it, the viscosity is showing up at 13. And... A 5W30 should be in the 11 range usually. Um, are you using any kind of additives? No. Um, okay. I, uh, well, if I did, it, it, it shouldn't still be in there. I, I used Hot Shot once, uh, but uh, that, was, uh, that was before I put the full synthetic in there. You know, sometimes we get, because you can't ever drain all the oil out of these engines. So anything that is in the oil, traces of it remain. That that might be what's going on, but it, it's not a big deal. Sometimes okay. viscosity just fluctuates within batches of oil. I mean, they don't always get their viscosity exactly right, uh, but it's not a big deal. 13 is still a lower viscosity than what we would see on a 1540 or even a 540 synthetic. And we like, 
low viscosity if it's if it's supposed to be that way. We like lighter weight oils to give us better fuel sure. economy. Um, other than that, there is virtually nothing to talk about. I, I've seen oil taken out of the bottle that isn't this clean. Wow. Well, I'm uh, I'm happy happy to hear that. Um, I, and I guess one thing about the viscosity, or if there is anything in there, <clears throat> this thing is still uh, burning quite a bit of oil um, um, with the uh, with the full synthetic change. Um, I think I'm at about six bottles and twenty seven thousand miles now. So I, I guess you can consider that not a lot, but um, uh, it, it's not horrible. There. Two things here. One, you did go to a full synthetic. We always know we'll burn a little more in a full synthetic, but you also went to a 30-weight oil, which is a pretty significant change. So we fully expect to see that oil burning, but that's also part of why the oil is so clean. So when we're doing extended, extended drains and using a bypass system like the, the OPS EcoPure, I don't really mind to see that oil consumption. Because literally, you might be able to go three, four hundred thousand miles between oil changes because you're adding enough to keep it really fresh, and that that's a good thing. Overall, it it will end up saving you money. I got you. I appreciate that. And uh, one more question for you: How much how much fuel economy uh, do we stand to lose with the uh, blended winter winter blends and and the fuel these days? You know, it's tough to say, and, and here's why. Because when we get the winter blended fuels, everything else changes at the same time. It's the reason we're getting them is because it got colder, probably got windier. We're probably dealing with a lot more precipitation on the roads, rain, slush, snow. We're probably idling more. So there's so many factors that change. I would venture to say that the fuel itself only accounts for one or two percent maybe three percent i i really don't believe it's much more than that and and i base that on looking at the energy content in each one of the fuels if you look at you know number two then compare it to some of the blended you can we can measure the btus and and there's about a three percent difference i don't think much more we'll be right back i'm kevin rothberg All right, uh, let me give you a quick heads up here. We're heading into the fourth segment of the first hour. That means that at the end of the segment, I say I'm done. I've got to get out of here. Don't hang up, though, because we're going to do a second hour. I will tell you, questions are a little light. Um, You might be able to get in the next hour if you press one on your phone right now or sometime soon. Uh, So I'll keep you updated as we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Uh, let's go to Missouri. Vern, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing great. What can I help you with? I thought I'd give you a quick year-end report on the business here. Okay. How uh, was your year? Pretty good. Pretty good. I've got the 09 Cascadia. And uh, let's see. I do refer. Buck 85 a mile for 118,000 dispatched miles. Nice. Uh, let's see. Operational ratio is about 0.635. Now, real quick, real, real quick, um, do you also track all miles? Yes, that's all miles. Oh, that, okay. You said dispatched miles. So that, to uh, me, is different than all miles. Uh, yeah, dispatched, uh, uh, loaded and empty. I probably have about another 15% on top of that uh, that I run. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons I, I say that is just because it, if we do, and this is only for comparison purposes, how you do your own internal accounting, I tell people, do whatever works for you. I mean, what makes sense for you? Um, in our system, in profit gauges, we encourage people to use all miles. And, and the easy way to do that is we just have them write their odometer down on the first of every month. And then the next month, you know exactly how many miles, and that includes everything. And the reason for that is that gives us a, a pretty good head-to-head -head comparison because some people might have a lot of deadhead or they might run to the shop a lot and they're not tracking it. So it's just, it's kind of a standard when we're comparing. Uh, so, you know, if we were to adjust your, what was it, $1.85? 15% uh, of that, of, of, you know, 18, that's like 27 cents a mile. I mean, that's a pretty significant difference. And again, you know, for your own internal accounting, do whatever works. I, I just wanted to make sure I know what number we're talking about. So, but no matter how we track it, that's still a good number. That's a great number. Oh, yeah. So anyway, let's see here. Uh, fuel pump, uh, fuel cost was 49.2 cents per mile. Very good. And, uh, my maintenance has jumped up quite a bit this year, but, you know, I'm off of uh, my uh, uh, warranty, and I had a lot of uh, just general fixing. I was up to 14.7 cents per mile on the maintenance. Uh, you know, that's not horrible in today's world, um, and, and especially on an 09. We, we just know that these trucks, even when nothing is really wrong with them, even if we're just talking about routine maintenance, these trucks are more expensive to maintain. And the other thing we have to realize is shop prices are going up too. And so are parts and everything else. Tires went up a lot in the last three or four years. So, you know, the number I used to shoot for was like six and seven cents a mile. That's really, really tough to hit in today's world, unless you're doing some of your own maintenance. So, Really, probably a really good target these days is about eight or nine. You're not all that far off. And, and eight or nine on a truck with emissions is really, really difficult to get to. So 14 is, is a good number for one of these trucks. I suspect it'll go down this year because I had an awful lot of stuff I replaced this year. Clutch, radiator, uh, the all four batteries, uh, tires, shocks. They, you know, just just about everything around the airplane. I had a fuel pump and an oil pump. 
And, you know, we, I had the uh, EGR problem that I had fixed out in Salt Lake uh, back in December. And I haven't seen any problems come back with that yet. Fuel mileage is still real good. Excellent. Excellent. Great stuff. I love doing things by the numbers. And um, that's how we learn. I mean, tracking those numbers improve them so, so much better than trying to keep this stuff in your head. Let's uh, let's go to Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Um, I have an ECM question, and then I also have a, a transmission thing I wanted to throw out there. Okay, shoot. Uh, um, this is. I'll try to keep this long story somewhat short. Um, looking at buying a truck, had an independent mechanic look at it. Uh, he let me know that. The engine brake is set up um, to only work when the service brake is applied, and he couldn't turn it off because there's password on the ECM. He contacted the previous fleet that owned it and Ryder, and they tried a bunch of passwords, couldn't get it. He said, I got to take it to Freightliner. What I'm afraid of is the horror stories I've heard of you take the truck in for something stupid like this, they put the latest and greatest EPA updates on it, and they ruin your motor. Uh, what so I'm wondering, it? it's an 01 C12. Uh, has it been to a, a cat dealer in its life? I mean, after like 03? I'm not sure. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to pour over all the records, but it looks like the the fleet that owned it did pretty much all everything as far as the work. Okay. Uh, it's hard to say, but it, the odds of this thing not being updated are pretty slim. Uh, but here's what I would recommend rather than go to Freightliner. And, and, and this is a question I'm not even sure, but I would look for an independent shop guys that can, you know, there are people out there that can get deep into that ECM. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh Power can do just about anything in an ECM more than a lot of factory shops can. And they're not held so strict to what they can do. I mean, you go to a good independent shop, you've got a relationship, sit down and talk to them and say, you know, I, here's here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. And you're much more likely to get that. So that's why I always make sure I've got an independent shop as one of the shops that I work with. Now, I, I've often said when I have engine problems, the first place I go is back to the engine shop. I mean, Detroit was my most visited shop for years and years and years. But I always had an independent shop that I could go to just for times like this. You know, somebody like a Pittsburgh Power. When I was in Orlando, I had... Uh, uh, Mobile One and a couple other companies that, that were just independent and I had good relationships with them and I could sit down and talk to them about this kind of stuff. So that's what I would recommend. I have to believe that shops like Pittsburgh Power that that have the ability to get that deep into the ECM can also reset that password for you. Okay, thank you. And then uh, we talked Wednesday about nine-speed convertibles and... Yeah. Uh, we we were talking about two different things. You were absolutely right on the convertibles. You should be able to get that done for less than 500. But what I've been digging into is I'm I'm reading that you can convert a non-convertible nine-speed 
for for about two grand. So I just wanted to throw that out there. If anybody can confirm that or has more information on that, there are models that can be done, and it is significantly more expensive. And one of the reasons I don't talk about it a lot is because most of the time, and this is just in in my book, I I just don't see the cost effectiveness. Um, I, I've run a lot of ten speeds really efficiently, and the only time the 13 speed really beats the 10 in efficiency is when we're climbing. And, you know, if you travel all 48 states and you look at the statistics, you're only on a significant climb less than 10% of the time. 90% of the roads we travel on are fairly level. So that, that the little bit you gain on a 13 speed for that little bit of time it's really tough to make back that $2,000 investment. So if it's cost effectiveness we're looking at, you know, does it make sense financially to do this? Many times it doesn't. Now, some people will say, hey, look, I know it's not, I, it might take me three or four years to get this investment back, but I just really like having a 13 speed. Well, then that's a good reason to go do it. Really, if you want one, you're willing to spend the money to get it, you can, but for the most of the time, it's just not going to have any real payback. Right. Well, uh, one way I was thinking about it, if you're truck shopping and you see nine speeds, I, I would imagine you might be able to to throw a, a better offer for you That's at nine a, speeds over 13s. Yeah. That, that, who, who wants a nine, you know? <laughs> And, and we could use it to negotiate. We could even maybe negotiate to get them to do the conversion at a better price. So, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, when you're truck shopping, that's something to keep in mind. The true nine-speed convertibles can be, be converted for very low cost, and that's usually why I recommend it. It just doesn't cost much, and the payback is actually there. Uh, thanks for the heads up on that. Let's get to Minneapolis. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? You're, you're looking at an oil sample. All right. Uh, but, uh, the oil sample, me and OPS went over it a little bit, but I just have a question about another thing on it. <laughs> All right. Well, I just happened to hear the music, which means I've got to get out of here. I'm all out of time. We are going to pick you up on the next show, though, so don't go away. Thanks for joining me tonight. I've got to get out of here. Stick around. Jonesy's up next with the all-night truck stop. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, a quick heads up here. Uh, right now, we're actually really light on calls. In fact, I won't have enough calls to get through an entire hour. So if you've been trying to get through and you've got a question, a comment, a topic, now would be the time. Um, if you can press one in the next couple minutes, 
I guarantee we'll get to you. Uh, it's already starting to fill up. So if you want to get in, jump in now and uh, I'll give you an update as we go. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, well, it's all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, business in general, financial planning, personal development, health and fitness. You know, the show is all about helping you be a better you, whether that's as an owner operator, as a driver, just as a person sometimes. It's just all about improving and, and excellence, just striving to be better at what we do all the time. So if you've got a question about any of those topics, we'll tackle it here on the air. And, you know, I, I do have just a couple things. I don't have a big open, but uh, on the last show, I, I talked about um, all of the information that's available online and free. And, and a lot of the stuff I was talking about, learning things about business and money and leadership and goal settings and all that information is just everywhere right now. We're just saturated in it. It's free. It's not all good, but honestly, listening to even bad business stuff is better than, well, I won't pick on all of the popular TV shows, but you know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with TV and entertainment as long as you're not watching just so much or listening to so much pure entertainment that it's not leaving you time to watch and listen to things that help you grow and help you learn. And I just think that, you know, many of our problems in society today, depression, uh, substance abuse, uh, gambling, obsessive shopping, a lot of the things that are becoming a problem, our health, it's just because we've become very, very lazy about doing anything that makes us uncomfortable. We want to be comfortable all the time. And I'll tell you, you will kill yourself being comfortable. You'll be in an early grave. Most of, in fact, almost all of the things that make us better in any way make us uncomfortable. Learning makes us uncomfortable. Trying something new makes us uncomfortable. Physical exercise makes us uncomfortable. Eating right makes us uncomfortable. But here's the good news. It's only uncomfortable for a while. It's not going to be uncomfortable for the rest of your life. As a matter of fact, it gets really good. If you do the good stuff enough, you start to look forward to it. Uh, for me, uh, weight training, resistance training, something I've been doing since I was about 12 years old. Now, I wish I had been doing it every day or very regular since I was, but I go in spurts, um, certainly all through school because I was uh, active in, in athletics and sports. I did a lot of weight training. Uh, when I was in the military, I stayed pretty consistent. When I got out, that's when, you know, real life happened and I haven't been as consistent, but I'll go sometimes 
a year or more, very regular, and then I might miss sometimes three or four years. I look back. I'm back to being very consistent again, and and I like it. I mean, that, that to me really isn't uncomfortable. It's something I enjoy because I've built that foundation. So we've just got to get out of that comfort zone that we work so hard to get into. You just don't grow when you're in your comfort zone. So you've got to be uncomfortable if you're going to get better at anything, better at being a parent, better at being a spouse, better at managing your money, better at running your business, better at building relationships, better at learning. If we're going to get better at any of those things, we have to realize we're going to be uncomfortable. I I was watching, uh, again, another episode of Larry Wingett and when I need a, a good dose of reality and I need something to bring me back to, to what I know I should be doing, I'll usually grab one of Larry's books or go watch one of his videos because he just doesn't screw around. You know, Larry, just the way it is, there's no fluff. And, and I know that if I'm not doing something right, it almost always just comes back to the basics. It, this stuff isn't complicated. But the episode I was watching this morning was talking about passion. And that word has been beat to death. You have to be passionate. If you're going to be healthy, you have to be passionate about it. If you're going to succeed in business, you have to be passionate about it. If you're going to be good at sales, you have to be passionate about it. That's just not true. And it's really, really bad advice. If I only performed when I was passionate I wouldn't have succeeded anywhere near to the level that I have. I wouldn't have been able to get the results I've had or, or accomplish because honestly, I like what I do. Some parts of what I do, I really like. We could even use the word, I love what I do sometimes, but a lot of what I do, I don't like at all. It's just necessary. I just have to do it because I made those commitments. And that's really what it comes down to. It's not about passion. It's really not. That word is so overused. And Larry does a great job of pointing that out to people. It, it You're probably passionate about things that won't earn you a living. That's okay. That's great. Be passionate about those things. Working and earning a living, you're not going to be passionate all the time. You're just not. And if you wait to be passionate to go try something or perform, you're going to be waiting around a long time. I mean, I, I, it's just about work. It really is. It's just about doing what you say you're going to do. Now, business, business just comes down to providing value to your customers, more value than what you charge them for. If, if you have a product or a service or a business and you can provide more value than what people have to pay you for, there's a good chance they're going to stay customers. If you provide enough value, above and beyond what you're charging them for, not only will they be loyal to you, they'll probably bring you new business. And that that's what makes a business successful, not passion. It's providing value. And providing value is not easy. It's hard work, and you have to sacrifice to do that. Very, very few people seem to have learned that lesson in life. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. I'm going to start off in Minneapolis tonight. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. All right. Uh, what's uh, for me? 
All right, let's take a look at what we've got here. Uh, I see it's a Series 60. What year? It's an 06 motor. 06. So this has EGR, but no DPF. Correct. Um, wow, we've got some strange stuff going on here. Um, so if you look at all, the first three was the old motor, and I had it rebuilt and framed. So the, the fourth one is, uh, is it the fourth on that one? There should be five on there, I think, five or six. I did, there's I did five. The, 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 okay, there's five. I did the, I did the, the first oil change. I did at 6,000 miles and switched to synthetic. And then that next oil sample came out looking good with the synthetic, but this last one had higher aluminum. Okay. So how many miles do we have on this end frame? On this end frame, we have 70,249 right now as of today. Okay. The metals that we're seeing, and these are unusual metals. Normally we see iron, um, those kind of things. We are seeing tin, lots of aluminum and chromium. And what that tells us that's cylinder wear that that's not top end or bottom end or bearings that that's cylinder. That's piston rings, liners. Um, how many miles are on the oil right now? That or when you when you took the sample, it was at about twenty four thousand, right? Twenty three thousand. So it was at forty five thousand eight seventy one with that oil sample, and right now I'm at sixty three three seventy one. Me and OPS talked about waiting and doing another oil sample and see what it comes out at before I switch oil. Uh, yeah, that would be okay because here's the thing: there's nothing wrong with the oil. The oil itself looks great. I mean, there's no fuel dilution. There's no soot. The viscosity is good. The base is good. There's no oxidation or nitration. So the physical characteristics of the oil are good. The wear metals uh, are a little odd. It could just be break-in stuff. Uh, so I think they're probably right. There's no reason to get the oil out because the oil's still in good condition. And those wear metals don't hurt anything. They're so fine. They're not hurting anything. We just look at them as an indication of what's going on. So I, I'm with OPS on this one. I, they gave you great advice. Let, let's wait to okay. see what happens on the next sample. And what my question is, though, is when I, okay, let's say I later on, I, I do pull this oil out. I, I've always been a fan of uh, Mobile Delvac. And so they switched their synthetic to the 5W30. Uh, for this motor, this older motor, even though it's been rebuilt, is that an okay oil? Synthetic oil. Hold that thought, and we will come back to that right around the corner. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Before the break, I was talking with Kevin in Minneapolis. We're going to go back and talk about uh, oil and oil samples. So, uh, yes, that oil is perfectly fine for that engine. And it really, the only consideration when, when we talk about synthetics or the weight of the oil, we could put synthetic in any engine. And it doesn't matter the age, the year. All we're really concerned about is the condition of the cylinder kits, the rings, liners, that kind of thing. Because if there's a lot of wear, then the lighter weight and the synthetics oils will get past those rings even easier and will just burn a lot of it. And yeah, even th there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, now on a, on a DPF engine, that does become an issue on a DPF engine. We want to keep our oil consumption down as low as possible. So I would even recommend if it, to anybody listening with a DPF engine, if you switch to synthetic and see a lot of oil consumption, you really need to think about going back to a conventional oil and even adding something like Lucas. Now it's going to hurt your fuel economy some, but the little bit you're going to lose in fuel economy is probably better then that oil burning will clog that DPF quickly. So that, that I, I need to start changing, you know, my advice. And when I talk about that, the difference between DPF and non-DPF engines, if I have a non-DPF engine and I switch to synthetic, even if it starts burning a gallon every 4,000 miles, which is pretty, uh, that's quite a bit. There's no real downside to that other than cost. And, and the cost might be worth it. Uh, it's, my oil will stay really clean. I'll actually get a slight boost in fuel economy because I'm burning a little oil in there as well. And it's combustible, not any real downside. So yeah. uh, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. So yes, you can switch. Um, okay. since, since my rebuild, I, you know, it's like right now I'm at 17,500 and I'm almost at the point I have to add a gallon. And oh, so, but, that, you know, since there's switch, what happens? Sometimes I can find the 5W40. Otherwise, I don't find the 5W30 right now. So, And and it's okay to mix those. I mean, if you mix okay. them in equal parts, you would end up with a, a 535. I mean, you'd end up right about in the middle of the viscosity. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Sweet. So Thank you. I, you're welcome. I, you're good. Let's keep an eye on that. Now, here's something else I want you to remember. On your next sample... All of these wear metals, there's a good chance that they're going to be higher next time. But if they only go up a little bit, that'll be okay. They, they tend to build up in the oil over time. So if you're at 60 on the aluminum now and you come back at 70, then that's not a big deal. Again, depending on how long. But, you know, if we only go up 10 points, then that, that's getting back to what we would consider normal wear. Let's go to Mississippi. Dave, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Nice to talk to you again. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, before I get to my uh, main question, I have an off-the-wall question. Do you know, uh, <clears throat> I had gone to the library to, to uh, check out a book. It was a, a new book that had come out, and they said I was like 250 people down on the list for the book. And that got me to thinking about royalties and that I thought, man, that's a lot of royalties that author's losing if people are checking out these books. Do these do the authors get anything by having a book in the library and having all these people reading it for free? 
I don't believe so. Um, I'm not, you know, an expert on that. I know a little bit about it because I've been around some publishing. Uh, but I'll tell you, most authors really, once they sign away the rights of the book, then many times sales has nothing to do with them anymore. That They just sell the rights to the book is usually what happens. And then sales, that's up to the publisher now. The more book okay. sales, the publisher makes the money. So many times, and there's lots of different rights. Um, Larry Wingett, for example, always retains the rights to his own audio books and, and records his own. Uh, many authors, though, will sell the, the printed book rights. They'll sell the Kindle book rights. They'll sell the audio book rights. And then you can start selling all those rights in other countries, too. If a publisher wants to buy your book in another country, they, they pay you up front. That's that's one of the common ways. So a library, no, um, that that libraries aren't great for authors, except for the fact that it's not that big of a deal. You know, in this case, you might have might over time lose a couple thousand book sales because somebody took it out. But if you read that book and you really like the author, you might go buy some of his other books. So it's exposure, if nothing else. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Um, my main question has to do with the scan gauge. And uh, I have a buddy that uh, also has a scan gauge. And uh, I have an 06 cat. He has an 05 cat. We have both been noticing, um, like just for example, the day before yesterday, I took off in the morning and I drove 200 miles, and I could never get over 6.4. It just went to 6.4 and plateaued out. Couldn't get over it. I stopped, went in, got some coffee, came back out, took off. Immediately, the truck went up to 7.2. Um, the same thing this morning. I took off. I got up to 6.5. I drove about, I don't know, 75 miles. But this time, I was watching it. I stopped at the rest area, shut it off for a couple of minutes, and almost immediately I went up to 7.3, 7.4. So we're talking about almost a mile per gallon. I'm just curious if uh, my buddy thinks that it might have something to do with the fuel temperature sensor, uh, maybe resetting when we stop and turn the truck off. I didn't know if anybody else was seeing anything like this or not. That His guess is as good as anybody's, and, and here's why. Any device that reads fuel mileage from the ECM, which is what the scan gauge does, even if it's a factory gauge built into the dash, even if it's an aftermarket gauge of anybody's, that fuel mileage is nothing but a guess, a, a, a complete guess by the ECM. There is nothing on a truck that measures the flow of fuel, nothing. And even if it did, it becomes very complicated because we'd have to measure the flow of fuel before the engine and again after because of the return fuel. And we'd have to do some calculations to come up with the right number. We would need two flow gauges, which are outrageously expensive. So there isn't a truck anywhere or a device anywhere that is reading real fuel mileage while we drive. And some people say, well, then why do we bother if it's not real? Well, we bother because it's a good comparison. If we're driving in one style and we change our style and that gauge changes, I don't care if it's accurate or not. It's probably taking me in the right direction. 
And we've proven that over and over and over. When you use one of these gauges, whether it's our skin gauge or anybody else's, your fuel mileage will improve because over time you learn ways to, to make it better. So if we start to see weird readings, that could be coming from a lot of places because that ECM is taking all kinds of data, um, speed, RPM, load, horsepower, on and on and on. And it's looking at all those factors and saying, okay, with all that information, we think the truck should be getting this fuel economy. So if any one of those factors gets off because maybe a sensor isn't functioning properly, it could throw off that fuel calculation. Now we have some people who have, you know, you can adjust the fuel number in the, in the scan gauge. And we have some people who have said after they worked, you know, using fuel gauges, tracking their real fuel mileage and adjusting their scan gauge week after week that they've got it where their scan gauge is accurate most of the time. The fact that yours is jumping and fluctuating so much from the morning and then after you stop, that indicates that there's an issue somewhere. Um, well, since your I, buddy has engaged, here's can, a quick way to Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I'm sorry, uh, but my scan gauge is dead on. I mean, I have been working, I've got, I've had this for a long time now, and I do track my fuel and fuel gauges. Uh, I've got almost 400,000 miles in there. This scan gauge is dead on within, almost always within a tenth or two of what I get on the regular mileage. And okay. that's why for a long time I thought it had to be the reading. I, I, I just really didn't believe that it was actually affecting the fuel mileage. But what I've been watching is that it really does seem that that earlier that it really is getting worse mileage i shut the truck off it resets i take off the mileage jumps same conditions same road same direction same everything and we're noticing this day after day after day we're we're both really honing in on this now and it Good. really does seem like something is changes when we shut the truck off let it sit and then start it again and go the mileage jumps eight tenths to you know, eight to nine tenths okay. of a mile per gallon. Okay. Now I have a better understanding. So hold that thought. When we come back, I've got a couple ideas that, that might help us track this down because you might be right. It, it might actually be reading correctly and your truck fuel economy is changing. And, and if it is, we want to find that out. So I've got a couple ideas. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Roth. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Before the break, 
was talking with Dave in Mississippi. Dave, you still with me? Yes, sir. Okay, so I, I love the fact that you guys are watching this stuff so close, comparing, tweaking. That's really how we learn stuff. Here's here's one of the ways I think we might be able to, to isolate this a little bit. One of the things I want you to try is drive all day without resetting it. And, and what I want you to do is get fuel in the morning so you're topped off. Drive all day without resetting anything so that, you know, if it starts at that lower fuel mileage, don't do anything to try to change that and get as many miles in as you can and then fuel again. And that will tell us, was that really the reading for fuel mileage or not? It, it'll get us a little closer. The other thing okay. you can do is swap, swap uh, scan gauges real quick. Well, you said your buddy has one. Swap real quick and, and see if if that is having any effect on it. If it's the the scan gauge itself with an issue, I kind of doubt it. I have a feeling that it's either a true mechanical issue with the truck or it's an ECM issue with the truck that just keeps showing the fuel mileage differently. But the first thing to do is is verify that when it's reading that lower number, if we run it all day like that, is that really an accurate number? Okay, and that's part of the reason I called. I just wanted to see if anybody else was noticing anything like this. I, um, in all the reports I've got back about the scan gauge, I've never had an issue like that reported. Okay, because I had, I've had, I've noticed it for quite a while, but it was really when you you were talking to the guy from the fast thing the other day, and you were talking about that the cold weather and heaters in the tanks and something, it just kind of, the light bulb went on and I got to thinking about it. And, uh, so like I said, my friend just thinks that, that, that our sensor is resetting some of it. That sensor has something to do with the fuel being warmer because we're dumping all that hot fuel back into the tanks, warming the fuel up when we shut it off, that maybe that resets. And that's why we see the mileage jump. So I don't know. I just want to see what you've on. That could be uh, that that's not an incorrect answer. That could possibly happen and cause this. But there's probably 15 or 20 other things that could cause it, too. So this is just one we're going to have to just start eliminating things that we figure it out. And the first thing we want to eliminate is whether or not the the reading is accurate or not. And and the only way to do that. See, because you're kind of getting an average, you're you're starting at one number, resetting it, and this is going on until you fuel again. And you're saying, well, I'm right on. Okay, well, let's try not having all those different readings and resetting it, you know, a couple times in between fuel up. Let's let's let it stay at that low number and let's fuel and see how accurate that number was. Well, all thank right. you for and, your time. I sure appreciate it. You're welcome. And by all means, call me back when you uh, get some more information on this, because I'm curious what's going on as well. Let's go to Iowa. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Um, Good. um, I've got a guy who's got a 99 Classic. He don't know anything about trucks. He just uh, supposedly loaned the guy some money. The guy couldn't pay him back. Uh, he went bust or whatever, and it's got a million five hundred and seventy-three thousand on. I mean, it's not in top shelf condition, 
but I could get it for probably five, six, seven thousand dollars. Would it be any, worth that? To- any information on when it might have had an in frame? Are we just flying blind? I'm flying blind because this guy he don't even know anything about truck. You know, Got and it. Okay. he. Yeah, I I would, if I have to work by odds, the averages, because we don't have any information, we have to speculate a little bit. Most of those uh, D-Deck 4-12-7s, which is what this engine is, on average, they, they went past a million miles easily. Most of them usually needed their in-frame around 1.1, 1.2 very, very seldom. It happens, but not many of them made it to 1.5 without an in-frame. So the odds are this thing had an in-frame in the last couple of years. If we have to guess, I would put my money on saying it had an in-frame in the last couple of years. If I could pick this truck up for seven grand, I'd be all over it. Okay. That's what, that, that's what I was, you know, because I know you're big on Detroit. So I know the classic ain't got to get fuel mileage, but for a second truck, you know, I can work on, you know, and rebuild the way I want it, you know, just whenever I'm at home, you know, for a couple thousand dollars. You know, yeah, this I, is one of those things, again, I, I, I don't want a classic, uh, but I know there are some people that do, and, and the other factors to me are even more important. Um, if we can pick this thing up cheap and it's relatively solid, it, it could be a money maker. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I had, Kevin. I just, you know, knew you was big on them Detroit's and stuff, and uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Yep. There you go. Now, if if we could do anything at all, um, what I would recommend doing, if if this guy will let you take it to a shop. I would run it down and get a, a blow by test. And actually what they're going to do is they're going to test crankcase pressure. And that will tell us the condition of the rings and cylinders. And it's not that expensive and it doesn't take long. So if, if he'll let you, I would run it down to a Detroit dealer, Detroit garage and, and have them do a, a blow by test on this thing. Crankcase pressure is what we're looking for. Let's go to, Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What can I help you with today? Well, I got two questions. Uh, first question is, if you're getting up at five in the morning to go work out, what's Lisa doing? Uh, she was with me this morning. Well, out of boy to Lisa. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're both on it right now. Beautiful. Um, my question is, um, I think I know how engine brakes work, but could you kind of go over what it is? And I know there's different models and different styles on how they work. I'm just, yeah. you know, want to understand the nuts and bolts of it. Okay. And the most familiar is the Jake brake. Um, there are right. also exhaust brakes and engine retarders, which are a little different and not very effective. Um, exhaust brakes are, aren't nearly as effective as a, a Jake brake is. Um, so here's what happens in a Jake brake. You're fairly familiar with how an internal combustion engine works, right? Right. It's basically an air pump. Exactly. So as the, as the piston is coming to the top of a stroke in, 
when we don't have the Jake brake activated, let's talk about that first. The exhaust valves are closed. There's nowhere for that compression to escape. So it builds pressure. And when the piston reaches the top, what does that pressure do? It pushes the piston back down. Right. That's what happens when the Jake brake isn't activated, even though if your foot is off the throttle, there's no fuel going into the cylinder. There's no combustion happening. But even without combustion, we have that pressure. And that pressure drives the piston back down just like combustion would, just not as strongly. That's why you do start to decelerate as soon as you let your foot off the throttle. But when we activate the Jake brakes, the exhaust valves open and bleed off that air so there's no pressure pushing that piston back down. And without that, we slow down much faster. We basically become, we turn the engine into a giant air compressor and we're pumping air out through the exhaust and that bleeds off all kinds of energy. Ah, Does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world. Well, that was an easy so one that, today. So that's why the exhaust gets so loud because we're pumping a lot of air through that exhaust system when the Jake brake is on. That's why we hear all the noise. And that, But that's okay. why we bleed off so much energy because we take away that pressure that was that kept pushing the pistons down over and over and over. Okay, so basically what you're doing to slow the truck down is the parasitic drag is what's yep, slowing exactly. the truck down. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. And so how do you know, does, and, and does it matter what brand of engine brake or Jake brake that you have? Well, Jake... Or, or they... Uh, Jake is short for Jacobs. It's Jacobs Manufacturing that produces the brake that we call a Jake brake. It's Jacobs Manufacturing. So that is a very specific brand. And, and we use Jake brake generically the way we use, you know, lots of other terms that, that become very popular. So Jake brake is a generic term. We use it generically, but it really should only be used if we're talking about an engine brake that was manufactured by the Jacobs Manufacturing Company. Uh, and, and that really is, as far as I'm concerned, probably the most effective on the market. I've got to get to a break. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothfuss. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Before the break, I was talking with John in Pennsylvania about engine brakes and Jake brakes in particular. John, you still with me? Yes, I am. So some trucks, the Mercedes has a has an exhaust brake. Uh, exhaust brakes are are more common on a lot of RVs. They help. They're not nearly as effective. The other thing about a, a Jake brake is it's available in multiple stages. 
and, and these there are different models. Um, you can have up to three stages on a Jake break. And the way it works, we have a six-cylinder diesel. And on stage one, you're only opening those valves on two cylinders. On stage two, you're opening it on four cylinders. And on stage three, you're opening it on all six. And we get the maximum parasitic drag when we open all six. So those are the three stages. Now, we're going to get to an area that I don't know all the details, but I can tell you the engine design can have a difference in how well the Jake brake functions. And, and all I can tell you is my experience. I don't know exactly why. It seems to me like the strongest Jake brake I have ever felt is on an ISX. And I don't know why. Now, the ISX is a very different design. Um, and that that probably has something to do with it. The top end of an ISX is different than a lot of other engines. Um, the, the Jake brake on a Series 60 can be strong, but not like I've felt it in an ISX or even as a cat. And it, it could have things to do with uh, compression ratios and stroke and all kinds of other things that I don't have enough understanding of to tell you why. Okay. So if you have a, a three-stage engine brake, more than likely what you're saying is that the a Jake or Jacobs brand. Probably. Yeah, it's the most common, uh, but there are some others on the market. And, but Jake, and that's why, you know, the, the term Jake brake became so popular because that for a lot of years, that was almost all we ever saw in any engine. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the information. Now I know. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, where are we going to head off to? We are going to head off to Oklahoma. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? Well, I'll just start a report first. First full fill-up of the year, 7.55. Excellent. Good stuff. Um. We're trying to get our numbers in line for everything. We didn't use profit gauges last year. This year, I'm going to start out with it. I wanted to know on fuel gauges, is there a way to go back to last year to download my total dollars expense on uh, fuel, or am I going to have to get the receipts out and tally them up, or just take all of my gallons for the year and guesstimate? Uh, no, we don't want to guesstimate. Don't, don't be two reasons. Anytime we guess at an expense, we are going to be wrong. I mean, we'll never guess exactly right. And if you guess wrong, you're either cheating yourself, which we certainly don't want to do, or you're cheating the IRS. And if they catch you, they will make it very painful for you. So we don't want to guess ever. We always want to make sure we're using real numbers. There is a way for you to go back into fuel gauges and pull that information out if you put in, you know, all your receipts throughout the year, um, rather than try to walk you through all the steps on the air where if you're not seeing it, it's not going to make any sense anyway. Give us a call, you know, call the, the fuel number and we'll get somebody on with you and we'll, we'll help you pull that number out. Okay, because I'm going to, next week, I'm going to call when I get paid for these loads that I'm hauling. And also, I ask you that regarding the load I'm, uh, I'm going to get now, if I did the right thing or not. I was in Dallas, and there is just nothing. I have to be back in Chicago for surgery on Tuesday. 
and the only load they can find that was going to get me anywhere near there is out of Tulsa going to Oklahoma. So I've got about a 260-mile deadhead to Tulsa, but I'm not real sure what the miles are to where I'm delivering. It's not paying very much, but at least I'm meeting my fuel expenses. Did I do the right thing by doing this? I think so. You know, that this is where I get so crazy about people who say, just say no to cheap freight and, and all that other stuff, because I've made the statement, there's no such thing as cheap freight. Uh, it, it, because we can't define it, it changes all the time based on the situation. To me, any freight that I put on my truck that meets my needs, and my needs could change constantly, if that load and that pay meets my needs, then I'm taking it. And and lots of people will say, well, you're the problem. You keep ch- taking the cheap freight. No, I don't. I keep looking for the very best freight I can find in any given situation. But I also know that supply and demand is real. Fluctuating rates are real. Bad areas are real. If I can get a good rate going in, I might take a lousy rate coming out because it makes good financial sense. Also, in your case, if I need to get somewhere for whatever reason, personal business or just because I want to go somewhere, I might take a rate that somebody else thinks is cheap because it meets my needs. I'm not out here to please anybody else. The only people I'm trying to please in my business are my customers. And, and let's be clear, customers are people who pay me. I, you know, I, I, I do a lot for free, but I do it because eventually it will help my profit or I believe it will anyway. So somebody who listens to my radio show, honestly, they're not really a customer of mine. If that's all they do is listen, they're not really a customer. Customers pay you money. And, and all the people out there that tell me I'm doing things wrong in my business, screw them. I'm not here to please them. If they're one of my customers and they're giving me feedback, I'll listen. But if they're just some random hater on the internet or some guy at the lunch counter on the CB, I could care less what they think about how I run my business. And I'm certainly, none of us are the reason freight rates are low. But everybody thinks that, oh, freight rates are low because those guys keep hauling it. That's, that, it just doesn't work that way. It's supply and demand. You were in an area that for, it, it seems like you said, you looked, there just wasn't much rates were low. That happens. You, you try to take the best rate you can to get you where you need to be right now. So yeah, it sounds to me like you did the right thing in this case. Well, there were other loads, but they were going the wrong way. Oh, exactly. This, this surgery has been scheduled for a month and I don't want to miss it. Well, and your health is more important than your profit. It, it just is. Anybody who puts profit before health is, and this is my opinion, I think that's a mistake because we might make a lot of money, but if we're sick, we won't be able to enjoy it. So what's the point? Okay. So, yeah, well, you know, I, I think you did just fine. Um, and, and just don't listen to what other people say. There are lots of people who will come out and say it was a stupid idea and you're the problem because you keep taking the cheap freight. It, the, the economy just doesn't work that way. Freight rates don't work that way. 
you run your business the way you need to run your business. And if you're doing it by the numbers, then tell everybody else to go take a hike. Let's go to Virginia. Larry, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I have a tax question, a tire question, and then uh, one about a 14-liter Detroit. Better get to it quick. we got about two minutes. All right. The tire question. I took 22.5 off of my century, 24.5 on. And it appears that my fuel mileage just picked up. Is that because the uh, the rotation? No. No, lower? it's not. Um, what we would have to look at is what was the rolling resistance number of the tire you took off? I don't really care what size it was. Size has it makes a difference. But when we're looking at a situation like this, you may have taken off a 22.5 tire that had a rolling resistance of 160. They, they exist. And you may have put on a tire that uh, a 24.5 that has a rolling resistance of 120. So okay, you would three or four tenths of a mile per gallon. But if we want the absolute lowest rolling resistance we can possibly get, it, it's more than likely going to be in a 22.5, not a 24.5. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does. It's just that uh, it, there wasn't much of a difference, but the tires that were on it were bad, and I had uh, your least favorite tire laying around, which, believe it or not, it was a lower resistance. I threw those on, and I'm, I'm better yeah. for it because I'll run these out, then I'll, then I'll go down to the expensive ones, which will pay for themselves. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, that's the only question I'm going to have time to answer today. Uh, that's kind of the same thing as people thinking that wide singles will always improve fuel economy. That's false. They won't. We always have to look at rolling resistance, no matter what kind of tire, what size of tire. It's all about the rolling resistance. I'm all out of time. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you back here next time. Don't go away. Jonesy's up next with the all-night truck stop. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.